Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, May 6th, 2023. It's been 3,356 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 437 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain our high confidence that private military company or PMC Wagner Group will go forward with its announced withdrawal from Bakhmut on May 10th, barring intervention from the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD. Second, Wagner's announced withdrawal will require a rearguard action and support from Russian forces to provide suppressive fire and troop rotations to minimize casualties. Without this support, a theoretical troop rotation by PMC Wagner will turn into a retreat with a high risk of extensive casualties. Third, we maintain that Ukrainian forces continue to set conditions to complete retrograde operations in Bakhmut, with military leaders expressing skepticism about Wagner's announced withdrawal. Fourth, in preparation for larger offensive operations, Ukrainian forces have increased shaping operations on multiple axes, creating panic and uncertainty among Gauleiters, Russian administrators, and military leaders. Fifth, long-range weather models continue to indicate that ground conditions will be favorable for larger offensive operations using armor and mobility by May 10th. Sixth, the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and have exhausted their combat potential. Seventh, if PMC Wagner withdraws from Bakhmut, the Russian Federation Armed Forces will lack sufficient troop reserves to maintain an active defense theater-wide and continue offensive operations in Bakhmut. Eighth, we maintain there is an extremely high risk of a retaliatory missile attack on Ukraine on or before May 9th. Ninth, our assessment that there was significant evidence that Ukrainian forces successfully intercepted a KH-47 Kinzhal hypersonic missile was accurate with the Ukrainian Air Forces confirming the interception using a NATO-provided Patriot missile battery. And finally, the Kremlin, Russian state media, and Russian mill bloggers are struggling to manage the ongoing news cycle and create a cohesive message to explain ammunition shortages, PMC Wagner's planned withdrawal from Bakhmut, drone strikes on the Kremlin, civilian relocation in Zaporizhia, and the successful interception of a KH-47 Kinzhal hypersonic missile. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. 
In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, and Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo reported that Liman Pirshi was shelled for the eighth day in a row. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian Surveillance, Sabotage, and Reconnaissance, or DRG units, continued operations in the Sinkivka area. In the Kupiansk operational area, the Russian MOD reported fighting between DRG units in the area of Orlyanske, in Timkovka. In the Svatova operational area, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian DRG units were conducting offensive operations near Beristova. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Russian assaults are limited to positional fighting and touches. Operational Command East, or OKE, spokesperson Serhii Cherevati did not report specifics on Russian activity, only stating that shelling had further increased from May 4th when 605 artillery rounds, mortars, and grad rockets were fired into free Ukraine from Dvorichna to Milohorivka. In the Kremina operational area, Borgonzo reported positional fighting in the area of Makivka, with Russian forces suffering losses and returning to their established defensive positions. Borgonzo also reported that Russian forces attempted to improve their positions in the forests and tree lines on the western edge of Kremina without success. In the Lesichansk operational area, Russian forces probed Ukrainian defenses east of Milohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with the GSAFU and Wargonzo reporting the attack failed. Russian mercenary mill blogger Rybar claimed Chechen Akhmat forces secured positions east of the chalk mine, which we already have under Russian control. As we've previously assessed, Chechen Akhmat taking up positions on the forward line of friendly troops, or FLOT, indicates that Russian forces are experiencing an acute personnel shortage. The so-called Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, shared pictures from the May 4th HIMARS strike on Rubizhne. The released pictures show the attack completely flattened a large concrete structure. The LNR-JCCC also reported that Rubizhne was hit by a second round of rockets fired by HIMARS, reporting that four hit the settlement on May 5th. There was no other information at the time of recording. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, the GSAFU reported a Russian attack to the southwest of Spirne for the second day in a row, which was repulsed for the second day in a row. In the Bakhmut operational area, Claims on Russian social media that PMC Wagner had almost completed the capture of Bakhmut were false. Wagner Group leader Yevgeny Prigozhin reported that there were no new territorial gains and that Ukrainian reinforcements continued to arrive in the city. We do not report casualty claims without verifiable information, and Prigozhin's claim that four to six hundred Ukrainian soldiers are being killed each day, juxtaposed with his claim that five Wagnerites are dying for each Ukrainian, would indicate that PMC Wagner is losing two to 3,000 mercenaries a day, which is an impossibility. So in our assessment, Prigozhin's claims are false. Ukrainian Deputy Minister of Defense Hanna Malyar said, quote, The enemy is trying with all his might to take Bakhmut under control by May 9th. In order to fulfill this task, they withdraw the Wagnerites from other directions and replace them with the paratrooper assault units, the Russian VDV that are currently fighting in the Bakhmut direction. 
Our fighters do not allow the enemy to break through the defense. End quote. She also claimed that a Wagner ammunition depot was destroyed. Some assessment? Maliar appears to confirm that PMC Wagner has started transferring offensive operations to the Russian Ministry of Defense. The Russian MOD reported they completed 69 fire missions, and Russian Army Aviation and Air Force, or VKS, completed seven close air support sorties. In breaking news, the Russian state media agency TASS, quoting Prigozhin's press service, reports that responsibility for the Bakhmut offensive will be transferred to Chechen Akhmat at midnight on May 10th. Prigozhin announced, quote, I am already contacting his, Kadyrov's, representatives to start transferring positions immediately, so that on May 10th at 0 hours, exactly at the moment when, according to our calculations, we will completely exhaust our combat potential, they will take our places. I thank Ramzan for agreeing, having, most likely, the opportunity to obtain everything necessary and all the necessary resources to take our positions in Bakhmut. End quote. Some assessment. We maintain that this is not a bluff or psychological operation by Prigozhin and that PMC Wagner is combat ineffective. Additionally, Colonel General Kadyrov had reported last week that he and Prigozhin had met to discuss plans that would soon be shared. Chechen Akhmat is not frontline fighting shock troops as the Russia-Ukraine war has proved, but Rosgvardia. Because they've operated as blocking forces and been responsible for rounding up deserters, they'll likely receive even less support from regular Russian forces. In northwestern Bakhmut, the GSAFU reported that Russian-aligned forces made a second attempt to advance in the direction of Markove, which failed. The GSAFU reported that Russian assaults on Khriurivka and Bohdanivka also failed, while Horgonzo claimed that Ukrainian forces had gone on the offensive in the same areas. In our assessment, both claims are likely accurate, with assaults conducted by both combatants. Ukrainian reports claimed that Khromova remained under Ukrainian control, and the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, remained open. In northern Bakhmut, fighting continued on Tolbukhina, Levchenko, and Permohi streets in the area of Hospital No. 2. In west-central Bakhmut, there weren't any significant changes to the line of conflict. We did adjust the line of conflict to run through the technical college due to continued claims that PMC Wagner does not hold military control of the area. Overnight in western Bakhmut, Russian forces carpet-bombed the Ukrainian-controlled regions with grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, loaded with thermite, causing fires throughout the area. In our assessment, the rocket attack was done intentionally at night to produce videos for propaganda, to refute PMC Wagner head Yevgeny Prigozhin's claim of ammunition shortages. Ukrainian forces shared videos of the experience from the ground, showing the ground carpeted with burning thermite. Alexander Kovalenko reported ongoing fighting near Kheolohist Street, with Ukrainian forces holding defensive lines. More assessment? The overnight grad rocket attack supports our May 4th assessment that PMC Wagner is not suffering from an ammunition shortage or a lack of fire mission support from the Russian MOD. PMC Wagner's attempt to advance in the direction of Ivanivsky to sever the T-504 highway G-lock was unsuccessful. On the eastern edge of Chasivyar, 
the Russian VKS targeted the canal bridge on Koshevokho Road, part of the T-506 highway, destroying the crossing. There is an alternative crossing to the south, and due to better soil conditions, it is unlikely that this will significantly impact Ukrainian logistics. In northeastern Donetsk, the settlement of Yampil was struck by a Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missile used for a ground attack, damaging five homes. At least three KH-22 cruise missiles hit the twin cities of Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. In Slovyansk, two missiles struck the Zeus ceramics plant, causing major damage. One person was injured in the strike. In Kramatorsk, a single KH-22 clipped the administrative buildings of the NKMZ plant, causing significant damage to the complex, and also damaging a school, a public swimming pool, an ice skating rink, and 22 high-rise apartment buildings. The concussion damaged a gas station and an ice cream shop. The windows on a city bus were broken out by flying debris, but none of the passengers were injured. Most industrial production was moved out of both cities in April 2022 after Russian forces occupied Izum. In southwest Donetsk, in the Toretsk, New York operational area, the 1st Army Corps attempted to advance on New York from the Novoselivka area and did what they do best, suffered losses and returned to their defensive positions. In the Avdiivka operational area, Russian troops attempted to advance from Kamyanka in the direction of Avdiivka and were unsuccessful. In Pisky, a Ukrainian DRG squad destroyed a Russian tank using a Javelin anti-tank guided missile, or ATGM. The squad operated north of Pisky and south of Odiana, raising questions about how firmly Russian forces are entrenched in the fields between the two settlements. In the Marinka operational area, fighting continued just west of what was Druzhby Avenue, with the 1st Army Corps maintaining significant pressure on Ukrainian defenses. The so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, OMON Deputy Commander Alexander Khodakovsky reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive but did not provide a specific location, saying, quote, All attempts by the enemy to push through our defenses today were unsuccessful, but the intensity of the battle was high, end quote. In the Vukhledar operational area, the Russian MOD claimed that Ukrainian DRG units were on the offensive near Novomikhailivka. Fighting continued in the Vukhledar area, with positional fighting near Mikilsky. Ribar reported that Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations in Pavlivka. According to Ukrainian insurgents, the transfer of military equipment and ammunition from the direction of Manhush into Mariupol continued. 25 trucks carrying humanitarian aid and water tankers departed Mariupol and headed toward Berdyansk. Ukrainian forces shelled Russian-occupied Khorlivka and knocked out power and water service. There was no update on the situation at the time of recording. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Zaporizhia. Russian forces carried out 99 fire missions, two airstrikes, three drone strikes, and one missile attack along the line of conflict in Zaporizhia. 
A Russian cruise missile using terrain-following radar, or TFR, to navigate had a close encounter of the absolute worst kind with a Vodafone cellular tower in Komoshivacha. Although the tower was destroyed, the missile broke up and crashed in a remote area nearby. Internet service has been temporarily restored in the area with a Starlink terminal. Up to 40 buses departed from Berdyansk and traveled to numerous settlements in the occupied Zaporizhia to pick up children for voluntary evacuations. The buses returned almost empty, with parents and guardians unwilling to be separated from their children. I wonder why. In response, Russian collaborator and illegitimate governor of occupied Zaporizhia, Yevgeny Belitsky, announced the mandatory partial or total evacuation of 18 communities, including Timoshovka, Smirnovo, Tarasovka, Orlyanske, Molochansk, Kubishivo, Prishib, Tokmak, Malaya Beloserka, Vasilyevka, Velika Beloserka, Dnipro Rudnoy, Mikhailovka, Kamyanka Dniprovskaya, Enerhodar, Polohi, Konskoye Razdori, and Drozovka. Russian officials described the evacuations as, quote, temporary resettlement, and accused Ukrainian forces of intentionally targeting their own population in the occupied territories. Russian propagandist Alexander Kotz shared a video showing loudspeaker announcements calling for the evacuation of Russian-controlled Polohi and for residents to go to Berdyansk. Russian collaborator, occupied Zaporizhia administrator and leader of We Are Together with Russia, Vladimir Rogov, reported that up to 70,000 civilians will be relocated from central Zaporizhia to Berdyansk. He claimed that accommodations to support 50,000 people have already been prepared in the seaside city west of Mariupol. Exiled mayor of Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov, reported that Russian occupiers had started burning records at the military police station and Russian passport office and were removing computer equipment. Assessment here. Russian military leaders and occupied territory administrators are convinced that Ukraine will be launching offensive operations in the direction of Polohi and Tokmak within a matter of days. The evacuations extending as far west as Enerhodar indicate that Russian leadership is highly uncertain about where Ukraine could attack. In our assessments, the temporary resettlements are a prelude to deportation either east through Mariupol into Russia or, if the situation becomes more dire, to Crimea by ship through the port at Berdyansk. It is highly unlikely that Russian officials have accommodations, sanitary facilities, food, water, and medical support for 50 to 70,000 people prepared in Berdyansk, as they can't even support their armed forces. We are respecting the Ukrainian government's request not to publicly speculate on the timing and geography of the coming Ukrainian offensive. There continued to be no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OKS, reported that the Black Sea fleet had six vessels on patrol, without a missile carrier among them. In occupied Crimea, local residents shared videos of an explosion near occupied Zhangkoi, a major supply and logistic hub for Russian forces. Occupation officials claimed that air defense was active. The second railroad on the Crimean Bridge has reopened almost two months ahead of schedule. Heavy truck traffic remains suspended on the repaired highway sections. The bridge was disabled for 210 days, with only minor work remaining. 
The return of rail service on both lines will dramatically improve Russian logistics to and from occupied Crimea. Shortly after the rail line reopened, the highway portions of the bridge were temporarily closed due to a, quote, security situation, creating lines on both the occupied Crimean and Russian side several kilometers long. The bridge has since been reopened. In western and central Ukraine, Kherson Oblast administrative and military governor Alexander Prokudin reported that Russian forces executed 71 fire missions against Free Ukraine, using 411 artillery rounds, mortars, grad rockets, drone-delivered IEDs, and indirect tank fire. The city of Kherson was targeted 11 times and hit by 49 munitions, wounding two. In Vesele, on the west banks of the Dnipro, a church was severely damaged by Russian artillery shelling, and a Fab 500 SE UMPK bomb struck the settlement. Pictures showed damage caused by UMPK bombs that hit an industrial area in western Berislav on May 4th. At least two buildings were heavily damaged. The curfew in Kherson started on May 5th and will continue through May 8th. Mikulayev and Kherson Oblast administrative and military governors Vitali Kim and Prokudin reminded residents that it is forbidden to film and photograph the movement of military equipment and any movements and actions of the armed forces of Ukraine. In Dnipropetrovsk, Nikopol experienced the heaviest shelling in weeks, with over 50 grad rockets fired by MLRS and artillery rounds striking the city. The city's industrial region was targeted, with three factory workers injured. In north and northeastern Ukraine, in Cherniv, a historic storybook library destroyed by a Russian airstrike last year has been restored. Commander of the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Lieutenant General Mykola Oleshchuk, confirmed that the Ukrainian military shot down a Russian KH-47 Kinzhal hypersonic missile with the Patriot missile air defense system provided by NATO. As we reported in yesterday's Situation Report, based on our analysis of the images published on May 5th, the missile debris was consistent with a Kinzhal missile, and the damage to the nose cone was consistent with being hit by a Patriot missile. Earlier, Yuri Ignat, the Ukrainian Air Force spokesman, said that Ukraine's air defense did not shoot down a Kinzhal or other Russian ballistic missile. While Oleshchuk confirmed the initial report by Defense Express was factual, he asked that air defense successes and failures not be made public to preserve operational security. In the Sumy Oblast, Khlukhiv was hit by two Fab 500 SE UMPK bombs launched from a Russian Su-35 aircraft. The airstrike damaged 44 homes and two schools, injuring five people. On the Russian front, videos and audio clips indicated there was a skirmish on the Russia-Ukraine border near Shibikino in the Bilgorod district. The reports of fighting caused panic in the Russian information space, with unsubstantiated claims that Ukrainian forces had started large-scale military operations in Bilgorod. After the fog of war cleared, officials on both sides of the border reported no major combat operations in the area. Local officials in Bilgorod confirmed that a Fab 500 SE UMPK fell near the village of Golovchina on April 24th. The area was evacuated over a week after the accident, and Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, dug up and defused the bomb. 
On May 4th, the Ilsky oil refinery in the Krasnodar Krai region was attacked by Ukrainian drones for a second time, sparking another fire. Russian officials claim that six IEDs were found in the Leningrad district near Susaninsky, where on May 1st at least one electrical transmission tower was destroyed by an act of sabotage. In St. Petersburg, saboteurs set fire to a relay box at the Kondakopshino station. During the investigation, employees found a bent door and traces of soot inside, and police found a bottle of flammable liquid and gloves at the scene. Area officials claim that railroad operations were not affected. On May 4th in Voronezh, a video showed a drone was shot down. There was no additional information. An Iskander-M launch vehicle, likely in transit for May 9th Victory Day parade practice, crashed into the guardrail while traveling on a Moscow highway. Russian President Vladimir Putin's administration press secretary, Yelena Krylova, reported that the two copper sheets on the Kremlin Senate dome roof damaged in a drone attack were replaced on May 5th. Russian officials activated GPS and GLONASS jamming equipment in Moscow to deter the use of drones in autonomous vehicles. However, the activity has unintended consequences, including deactivating rental scooters and snarling GPS navigation for cars, taxis, ride-sharing services, and deliveries. While some sources claim the problem is due to a wider issue with the Russian GLONASS system, a parallel satellite navigation network identical to GPS, there is no evidence to support the claim. Due to the problems caused by the electronic jamming, Russian officials announced that car-sharing services would not work in large swaths of central Moscow through May 10th. Russian state media agency Baza reported that after the drone attack on the Kremlin, OMON officers in the central administrative district of Moscow would be issued binoculars. On May 4th, the director of the United States Central Intelligence Agency, or CIA, William Burns, held a closed-door briefing with U.S. senators regarding the drone attack on the Kremlin. U.S. Senator Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, told the United States news agency CNN, quote, We still don't have much information. I think the committee expressed that whatever intel we get, we need to hear it as soon as possible, end quote, adding that there was, quote, no indication it was sourced by the Ukrainians, end quote. In the village of Myachkovo in the Nizhny Novgorod region, a civilian truck carrying 125mm ammunition for tanks collided with a fuel truck, spilling ammunition across the highway and causing a fuel leak. Against all odds, there was no explosion. Maybe they'd run out of cigarettes. Reports by Russian state media and mill bloggers that an Aeroflot Airbus A320 passenger plane was almost rammed by a Ukrainian drone while landing at Sheremetyevo were false. It was alleged that the Russian Security Service, or FSB, was involved in an investigation. The airplane was a Boeing 737-800, and the pilot said they did not observe any drones while approaching and landing at the airport. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. An analysis by the Ukrainian independent news agency Shrike News found that Russian attacks are down 34% from the start of April. Russian forces were launching an average of 118 attacks a day during the first 10 days in March. That dropped to an average of 59 attacks a day during the first 10 days in April, 
and in the opening days of May, the number declined further to an average of 44 attacks a day. Almost all combat activity in May has been concentrated in the Bakhmut and Marinka operational areas. Before Kadyrov and Prigozhin's joint announcement about Bakhmut, Ukrainian military analyst Colonel Petro Chernik dismissed the claims by the Wagner Group leader that they were withdrawing, saying, quote, There may be a subtle satanic detail here that they are allegedly withdrawing. We are tempted to take some counteroffensive actions, but in fact, no one has gone anywhere. I don't trust the Russians. They should be treated very carefully in everything they say. Is the struggle between Shoigu and Prigozhin intensifying? Definitely yes. But in terms of the Russian-Ukrainian war, they are absolutely all the same. End quote. OKE spokesperson Colonel Chedevatsi agreed with our assessment that PMC Wagner is running out of personnel and is not experiencing an ammunition shortage, saying, quote, For months, Prigozhin has been trying to make outrageous statements in order to draw attention to himself. There is an internal confrontation in the Russian military leadership. Despite these statements, while the Wagnerites continue to attack the armed forces of Ukraine in Bakhmut, heavy fighting continues there. End quote. Two Russian Jehed 136 drones were shot down in eastern Dnipropetrovsk on the evening of May 4th and 5th, and eight more were downed by the Eastern Air Command on the evening of May 5th and 6th. In addition to the eight mechanized combat brigades that have been formed and named, and the ninth still in training, Colonel Mikola Urshalovich, Deputy Director of the Implementation and Planning Department of the National Guard of Ukraine, said, quote, Six brigades of the National Guard, which are part of the Offensive Guard, are formed, staffed, and ready to perform tasks as part of the defensive forces after receiving corresponding missions. The 7th Khartia Brigade, the formation of which was announced in April, is in the process of training. End quote. So, for those keeping count, that is nine mechanized brigades, eight offensive National Guard brigades, and eight volunteer assault light infantry brigades. If these are true brigades, that's 12 divisions. Six armies. This is in addition to 12 previously formed brigades for a total of 33 ready or nearly ready for offensive operations. But wait, there's more. Minister of Digital Transformation of Ukraine Mikhail Fedorov reported that 10,000 drone pilots had completed training as part of the so-called Army of Drones project. The goal is to create 60 companies of 1 to 200 soldiers each and transform the doctrine of using UAVs on the battlefield. That's 35 brigades. What does Russian leadership do when faced with 35 combat brigades of trained and equipped Ukrainian forces poised to attack somewhere? Threaten nuclear war, of course. Former director of Roscosmos, Dmitry Rogozin, said that the only option Russia has to stop a looming Ukrainian offensive is tactical nuclear weapons, because the conventional forces and supporting weapons have been exhausted. Prigozhin had strong opinions about recent nuclear threats from Moscow after the drone strike on the Kremlin, remarking, quote, As a radically-minded person, I can say that the use of nuclear weapons in response to a drone is, of course, out of the question. First of all, we need to put whoever is responsible for fighting drones on the rack, figure out how this could happen in principle, and then make every effort to ensure that we become the leading power in the development of UAV technology and respond with exactly the same drones. 
We look like clowns who threaten with a nuclear bomb in response to a children's drone. End quote. And what did the PMC Wagner telegram channel reverse side of the medal do after Prigozhin's statement? They acted like clowns. Posting a video of a gray and white cat in a hard hat pressing a glowing red button, causing an explosion, presumably nuclear, in a desert somewhere. Quick sidebar. This is why cats should not have access to nuclear weapons. Absolutely no self-control. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, failed Mobik, and insufferable troll Igor Strelkov-Girkin agrees with War Gonzo's Pegov that Ukraine now holds the battlefield initiative, saying, quote, I predict that the main blow of the armed forces of Ukraine will be inflicted to the west, in one of the sectors of the Zaporizhia front. Auxiliary and distracting ones, they can be applied anywhere. The enemy, Ukraine, has the initiative since our own offensive operations almost everywhere either bogged down in blood, Vukhladar, Avdiivka, Marinka, or reached a dead end, also extremely bloody and quite expected, Bakhmut. End quote. Avril Haines, U.S. Director of National Intelligence, aligned with our assessment that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective, stating, quote, If Russia does not initiate a mandatory mobilization and secure substantial third-party ammunition supplies beyond existing deliveries from Iran and others, it will be increasingly challenging for them to sustain even modest offensive operations. End quote. The U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Russia is not ready to discuss ending its war against Ukraine. Quote, there is zero evidence that Russia is prepared to engage in meaningful diplomacy. To the contrary, we've seen the horrific onslaught just in the past week again on civilian targets in Ukraine. End quote. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.